folks. Big Jake here just to take a minute and remind you that Music the Lifeblood is not a politically correct podcast. So the following episode might have some colorful commentary on the subjects at hand. Listener discretion is advised. You are now listening to Music the Lifeblood. Ladies and gentlemen, you have tuned into another episode of the Music the Lifeblood podcast. I am your very humble host. Joined with me, filling in for a vacationing Big Jake, Music the Lifeblood's own third man in the field, Mr. John Carter. Carter, how are you? Great. How the hell are you doing? I'm good. What are we talking about this episode? Oh, something very close to my heart, man. Fucking hellbent for leather. Killing machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Judas Priest killing machine hellbent for leather episode. Yeah. Yeah. So we knew that uh, we knew that you were going to be filling in for this episode. So and we have a little bit of back and forth in the music of the light blood chat you know all three of us kind of talk back and forth to each other uh when you knew that you were going to be doing this episode how how strong of a boner did you get i was really excited because i uh um <laughs> i did, like honestly my you know it's funny my introduction to judas priest was the fucking video for hell back for leather on mtv when i was a kid like it was on a show called metal shop before okay. having fall and uh, I remember seeing that, and I'm just kind of like, this is fucking awesome because, you know, being you know being a really young kid, like in the early 80s, and seeing something like this, I knew about Judas Priest. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I knew about Twisted Sister, um, and this was kind of like right around on, on the cusp of Metal Health, Quiet, Quiet Riot. And so I'm seeing, you know, Judas Priest, I see all these cool-ass, like, teenagers and, um, walking around with Judas Priest t-shirts. I, so I knew it was something rock and roll. You know what I mean? I knew it was like that was something that cool people were into, you know? And uh, um, and then the fact that, you know, it was like Judas Priest. My grandpa would say, Judas Priest, when he'd get pissed off. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, what the hell is this? And then I saw like, the video for Hellbent for Leather and that fucking bone. Hellbent, Hellbent for Leather. That fucking, just, I love the chorus so much. And so what, 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 what was the video? Because I, I, I've never seen it was a, it was a, it was a live video. He had the fucking like a performance video. Mm-hmm. I I okay. want to say it was probably from um, Unleashed in the East or whatever that live album was called that came out. Um, okay. No, or that was that was pre Hellbent, wasn't it? That was like that stopped at stained class, didn't it? Un- Unleashed in the East. They that that was made during the the per, the touring cycle for Killing Machine Hellbent for Leather. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely it was a it was a live video. Um, they even ran it on Headbangers Ball years later, and I saw it again. Um, Might have been was, um, it. It could have been uh, from the tour of uh, Screaming for Vengeance. Okay, very well. Because been. they have that they they did that that concert video mm-hmm. like the actual home movie for yeah. that. That maybe that could have been it. Well, I, don't know, I saw it like circa 1984, going on 1984-85 when I saw it. I didn't see it like. Okay. You know when you know when 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 did Killing Machine come out seventy eight, yeah, uh, yeah, yep. so, yeah. I didn't obviously I didn't see it back then. I'm not that fucking old, but uh, um, but yeah, I saw it like in the early eighties on on TV, and that okay. was like that was the first Judas Priest song I ever heard. And then I heard Living After Midnight and Breaking the Law after that. You know what I mean? Like 
it's kind of like, you know, my ears perked up, you know, when I'd be in the radio, in the car, and my parents were playing the radio, and, and uh, you know, freaking um, another thing coming would come on. You know what I mean? And so sure, I was like, oh, this sure. is the same band. And, but to me, like, Hellbent for Leather was a fucking heavy, it was harder, it was angrier than breaking the law on that. You know what I mean? Right, right. In comparison, to, you know, and so, but anyway, that was just always my, my favorite. And, like, I had uh, live priest stuff, and I had mixes that had this song on it and everything. But I never really had a copy of Killing Machine slash Hellbent for Leather for years because of my confusion between Killing Machine and Hellbent for Leather, like the, 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 the album title change. Because for the longest time, you couldn't get the album called Hellbent for Leather. It was Killing Machine when I was younger and stuff, and then I got into other things and kind of lost track. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, like there was confusion because as I got older and started getting into different music and collecting shit, I knew that there was like European releases of stuff, Japanese releases of stuff, and like like the different Scorpions albums and the ACDC albums or anything that like sure. this was you know this is the same songs as this, but there's two more songs that aren't on that, and it's got a different name, but it's basically the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. That kind of shit. So as far as Killing Machine and Help That Leather goes, I mean that's kind of where where it was, and 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 I grew up in the the time of tape trading in the you know eight, late eighties. Uh, mid, well, mid to late 80s or whatever. Um, and a lot of my Judas Priest Slayer and stuff like that, like kind of like, you know, thrash, new wave of British heavy metal type shit was all like tape trading with friends and everything. And so I never really owned like a whole, like the hard copies of stuff until I started, you know, working for my money, you know, later on, you know, in middle school and high school and shit, whatever. But anyway, so. I was really confused on what albums came before and everything like that. And I saw a killing machine, you know, and this and that and, uh, Hellbent for leather. And then there was screaming for vengeance and the video for Johnny B. Good was on TV, you know, on MTV. And, uh, just and when Judas priest, you know, did the, um, parental guidance video and stuff like that. So when I was really watching MTV, that was the shit from Judas priest. that was really happening. Johnny B. Good, parental guidance, you know, and stuff like that. And yeah, so 80, 86, 87, 88. Yeah. Absolutely. That's when I really got into metal. I I had I, I, man, I can't, I can't remember what my first exposure to them was. Uh, probably from like an FM standpoint, it was probably, you know, you got another thing coming. Yeah, it was more than likely that. But when I really started to dive into Priest and <coughs> really sort of bite down hard into everything that the band had this was the album that i had the most exposure to Ooh. uh for i can't i don't know why but i don't know for some reason i just remember listening to this album over and over and over and over again and i think the because of your you probably experienced that whole sort of like back catalog confusion what mm -hmm. was what and when was when because there was a lot of reissues of yes. the, fir the first four albums got released over and over and over again with with different names on it or they did they would do like a best of sort of anthology compilation of the first four albums and it's kind of confusing pre-internet it's like what the fuck are you looking at when mm -hmm. when did this album come out it's it's just a big confusing fucking mess and it yes. can be frustrating i remember um what is it uh hero hero Mm -hmm. um, that has bits and pieces of just everything on it, uh, and it has to do has something to do with whoever whoever is the 
the the copyright holder for the first couple albums because the dude that owned it released shit just time and time and time again remastered or remixed and different packages that sort of thing but i remember this album specifically delivering the goods God, yeah. I remember hearing and just I, I remember how it I remember how it felt the first time that I heard it because the the song begins with a little bit of an off time thing that <laughs> Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. I I remember how this album started. It grabbed me. It grabbed me the same way that I remember hearing Master of Puppets for the first time. That, okay. Uh, the battery, you know, when you mm. the beginning, blah, blah, da, da, yeah. blah, blah, da, da, do, blah, blah, do. Yeah, you're like, where are we going with it? <laughs> bah, 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 bah. I remember mm. delivering the goods, hitting me that way as yep. well. And I remember being grabbed because up to that point, what I knew about Judas Priest, what I understood was, you know, screaming for vengeance. Um, uh, uh, you got another thing coming, breaking the law, living after midnight. And I remember hearing delivering the goods going, that doesn't sound like the other shit that I've heard so far. This sounds heavier, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I can tell it's of its time. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get mm -hmm. that, you get that real sort of like 1978 cutting edge, heavier music production i hear you time, yeah for, for that time you know and when you especially when you stand killing machine hellbent for leather hellbent for leather next to stained class mm -hmm. i think a lot of people think of them as like sister albums because they both came out in 1978 yeah i mean i i was always wondering if they were like both albums recorded at the same session because like you know like i mentioned no. okay i mean well then whoever the hell they had engineering and mixing did a great fucking job putting the two albums together well there's you know? i well you look at you, the stained class uh released in february of 78 so that puts them recording it recording it like christmas ish of, okay of 1977 and then uh, october 78 we get killing machine hellbent for leather mm -hmm. so we're talking eight months apart realistically release dates you know, it's probably closer to closer to about a year of them being recorded, yeah, se separately, but about eight months apart for release dates. And the weird thing to me about staying classes, just like delivering the goods with Killing Machine, you the exciter, you hear exciter, that double that double bass Les Binks is doing, and I remember. I heard Hellbent for Leather Killing Machine long before I heard Staying Class because it took me a couple years to dive into the first four albums. I don't like them as much as sort of the Judas Priest middle era of yeah. stuff. Oh, but, yeah. But I remember thinking, hearing Exciter going, man, Exciter should have been on Killing Machine Hellbent for Leather. It would have fit on there way, way, way better. I listen Just, to the albums back to back, you know what I mean? So yeah, I could totally, I could completely see that. And like you said, the middle era, like, you know, uh, Stain, Stain Class, um, Hellbent for Leather, um, and, and British Steel, boom, boom, boom. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that, those are my three favorite freestyle, personally. Really? Yep. Really? Okay. I mean, I, I, you, I love, uh, 
I, it's, it's strange. You and I, you and I both, we have an affinity for uh, a lot of quote unquote classic eighties metal. Mm-hmm. You know, we both like rat, you know, we yeah. both like guns and roses. We're, we're into Motley Crue, that sort of stuff. But I figured you would have, you would have moved a li- at least would have been like British steel point of entry screaming for vengeance, like well, somewhere in there. I honestly think that point of entry is where they dip a little bit because that's not as, as consistent of an album as the albums that are on either side of it because fucking British Steel is just hit after hit more or less. And, you know, and then, um, you know, and then uh, uh, Screaming for Vengeance, right? That's after point of entry, correct? Yep. Okay. That's when fucking the metal really fucking took. I mean, I love that album. I fucking love it. Um, it's pro- that's probably maybe, maybe my fourth out of you know top four but uh um but that's when they became metal as fuck i mean it was like all the shit they were hinting at on stained class and hellbent for leather they fucking just cranked it up to a thousand on screen of revenge i mean some of those, the, the guitar solos because what i noticed on like a lot of the early stuff and then even sadly on the mid three like we we're talking about is the guitar interplay almost meshes together too much to where the guitars just turn into one guitar. Screaming sure. for Vengeance, you've got fucking like, they're both right there screaming in your fucking ears. That's where you really notice the interplay on the on the solos and leads. And there's a really good interplay on those other albums, but it's almost kind of like Tiffany and, and Downing were kind of like, you know what, on Screaming for Vengeance, let's fucking like, let's, re, let, let's set our shit to where our guitars are more complimentary instead of layering. You know what I mean? And I, and you could, cause I honestly think that that's where Slayer, like Hammond and King got their idea for how to do their solos from KK Downing and, and Glenn Tipton. The oh, interplay, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Carrie King, I can't count how many times I've heard Carrie King mentioned Beyond the Realms of Death. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, the dude will not shut up about that goddamn song. Like, he fucking loves it. Mm-hmm. I think, but I, I, when you get, when you go from, I I think what what I would call what I what I would call the classic the classic Judas Priest sound. Yeah. I think I think it 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 is most noticeable in its sort of genesis, the genesis of it on Killing Machine Hellbent for Leather because when you listen to mm-hmm. when you listen to Staying Class, you can hear it uh, a little bit, but yeah. it's not it's not nearly as fleshed out as what it is on Hellbent for Leather. It's just yeah. I, I just I don't think it is. Just, Hellbent's a lot more metal. Staying Class has got kind of like that like that new wave of British heavy metal, you know, a new, new wave of British heavy metal kind of had like the bluesy, almost Southern rock kind of influence. Yeah. It's pro, you know? it's, it's proto metal. It's proto yeah. metal. It's closer. It was, it's more akin to stuff like Uriah Heep, mm-hmm. um, uh, some of the older deep purple stuff. But I yeah. think what, what I, what I think is really interesting because what you have running concurrent with this period of Judas Priest's career is the Scorpions. Yeah, and I think I I think you cannot you cannot not acknowledge how important the Scorpions were to the genesis of of metal through the eighties. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you fucking you what Matthias Jabs is doing, you know by by nineteen seventy eight seventy nine, mm-hmm. you know because Uli was there and not there for a second, and then Matthias was, and then. And then Uli was back for a minute, and then it was just confusing. But it was—it's one of those things where the the 
the I, I think that the the growth and the proliferation of what would become kind of standard '80s metal, even tropes, I guess, yeah. was all was all happening within the Scorpions and the Priest catalog at the same time. Because I, I think I think you don't end up at shit like Rat, Motley Crue, Quiet Riot, some of the Def Leppard catalog without Judas Priest and the Scorpions. Absolutely, you have to have both of them. So, and, and anyway, side just veering off left, but no, you're you're, you're right. And you know, and kind of back to our original point, though, like a, an album like uh, you know, like Hellbent for Leather, Killing Machine. Um, it you know, it's it's pretty obvious that just like a small scene, like a local scene where bands influence each other, and a big scene where like you know the late you know late seventies, early eighties, metal scene obviously very very fucking competitive, right? So it was pretty obvious that, you know, they were watching each other. They, they saw what they were up to, you know, and then, you know, especially like so many amazing legendary guitar players came out of Scorpions. You know what I mean? You, you, you know, Shanker, all those guys. And then you had Tipton and Downing who were the fucking metal twin. They were, they, I've, I've, I've read interviews and heard people say it for the longest time, that Tipton and Downing's guitar playing defined fucking heavy metal. Like that was like, the, you know, like the what like the tropes you're talking about, like in the '80s and stuff like that. That that was metal guitar. Twin, you know what I mean? Twin leads. Yeah, and, yeah. Twin leads and 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 even the yeah. groove that they even had that people yeah. don't really oh, pay yeah. attention to. Yeah. There was so much groove to that shit. I think you know, which is funny too, because I've been, you know, we're 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 in a we're in a post. Uh, kk downing world you know what i mean like kk isn't in the band anymore now it's richie faulkner playing in the band and we just got the we got the announcement of glenn tipton is is has acknowledged that he has parkinson's and he's he's not going to be touring that sort of stuff but in in lieu of that and in getting ready for this month-long metal gods march that music the lifeblood is doing i've been i've been thinking about the those two uh, the combination of, <coughs> sorry, the combination of uh, Tipton and Downing, or Tipton and Faulkner, or now Sneep and Faulkner, mm. you know how how that's going to affect the the sound of the square of of Judas Priest, that sort of thing. And I keep coming back to when we talk about KK Downing and Glenn Tipton together. I, you know. I mean, I'm not bashful about it. I feel like Glenn Tipton is far and above a much, much more uh, capable player than what K.K. Downing is or was. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm sorry. Keep coughing. I'm sorry. Get a water. I, mean, I know. I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been sick for like the last week, so I'm I'm still coughing. But anyway, I think one of the one of the things that Yes, I do think Glenn is a much, much, much more technically skilled player than what KK is. I think he's a stronger songwriter, for one. Um, but at the same time, I think KK had a lot of swagger. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of bookended really well with what Glenn Tipton did, you know, for decades, for decades and decades. I think. KK is, I think he's underrated in his, um, his importance to the sort of contribution to the, the shaping of the Judas Priest legacy. But I do think if you can, you can still have Judas Priest without KK and the band, but I don't think you can have Judas Priest without Glenn 
in the band. You know what I mean? It's rough, man, because Richie Faulkner's great. You know what I mean? I I played the crap out of Redeemer of Souls, you know? And, and like, I don't know, man, like it's, you could look at it one, one way, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're staying fresh and you got younger guys in there and it's keeping it tight because Halford's a fucking beast anyways. And you gotta, you, you have to keep up with Halford because he's, He's a fucking immortal. You know, I mean, his vocals still hold up. He's still a great performer. He's fucking awesome. And in a weird way, I mean, as brutal as it sounds to say, if you got, you know, a guy with Parkinson's, you know, it's just, and then you got fucking like an anomaly like Halford, it only kind of makes sense to bring in two strong, fucking fresh, energetic guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, didn't Andy Sneap, um, do some uh, some production work with uh, Judas Priest. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, he's all over. He's all over Firepower. He's co-produced it. Yeah, and he worked with a lot of fucking. I think he worked with like Testament. He worked with Slayer. I think. And he, oh he yeah, did. him and him. I would say him and Roy Z are probably like the two preeminent European metal producers. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh. they're 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 not. Andy Andy doesn't strike me as American metal. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? He oh. has a he has a very European kind of feel to him. Sort of that that the, those sort of like grander notions of like powerful metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of thing. I think he falls in line with that. More like stuff like Maiden Priests, Halloween, fucking uh uh you know, any the, most of the bands that are playing at Vakken, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, the, the main stage at Vakken. But he's he, Andy does not feel uh, like American metal to me. He doesn't have that to to his sort of aesthetic. I guess I don't yeah. I don't know how else to say it. But. Well, now I mean we're stuck with a you know a three fifths priest. You know, people kind of joke in Slayer. You know, is fucking half Slayer. Yeah. You know, because you know, and just and like with Kiss, you know. And but the reality, I think you said something on a on a older episode about like as these guys get older, it's just gonna fucking happen. You know what I mean? It's just you know guys are gonna fucking start falling apart, and people are gonna be going to shows to see their band. They're there yeah, for yeah. they're they're not there for the individuals in the band. They're there for the band and whoever's playing these fucking songs. And if if there's at least a couple of fucking original dudes, they want that because. A band like Judas Priest and even like a band like Kiss, you know, bands that are basically legacy acts now. People are going there for the legacy, not for like, you know, not to nitpick if Hanneman's playing guitar or not, or if Downing's not there. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So in a weird way, it it suits Judas Priest at this stage in the game after fucking 50 years or whatever the hell, you know, and like, you know, it's to be expected. And it's like, hey, how I can see Alfred being like, look, if you want Judas Priest, this is what we're doing. If you don't, then you don't have to fucking come. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. I. You know, I. Feel, I feel like we'd we'll we'll say we'll save this discussion because we're gonna do a firepower episode um, this month. But we can say. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I. I feel like the the one thing that I will say, and I did. I wrote a little bit of an editorial on the music, the lifeblood Facebook about it um, a couple weeks ago or whenever Glenn announced it. You know, he's the Parkinson's is a factor that they they're going to do the tour because there's there's a bigger commitment it's not just about 
going out and playing shows. They have a commitment to that they've made with the promoters to fulfill those shows. They have the crew. They have the crew's insurance. They have the band's insurance. They have all these other factors that I think a lot of fans don't take into account or don't know to take into account that a band at the level of Judas Priest, it is a business and there are a lot of obligations to fill other than just making sure the fans are feeling good about who's on the stage. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people don't think about it, but anyway, anyway, we'll go off. We'll keep going off in the left field, but um, I want to keep it kind of focused on like hell bent for leather killing machine, that 1978 era sort of, sort of stuff. Um, So I want to talk about Les Binks. Okay. Um, Because he was, he was like, he's, he, I think he's the third. I think he's the third most tenured drummer of Judas Priest, <laughs> behind behind Scott Travis, and then Dave Holland, and then Les Banks, and then you have like uh, uh, what's his name, Hint, John Hinch, in there, and then there's I think there's somebody else I can't remember what it is, but uh, Les Banks. He, I think he's important to the genesis of Priest going, quote-unquote, truly metal. Okay. Because he's a drummer that was he, was, he was fluent in double bass, or at least the double bass technique around that time. And I think Les Binks helped sort of shape what we would end up knowing the Judas Priest sound to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious that he's listening to some... Uh... Some Motorhead that was going on around that time, you know, Motorhead and Saxon, you know, they they were doing they were doing kind of those those kind of beats as well, you know what I mean? Sure. And so and yeah, and like I said before, with them kind of trying to keep not really keep up with what's cool, but like okay, you know, hey, check that out. I heard this in a song. That's awesome. You know, they influenced each other while at the same time being very competitive, and, and especially like in England at that time as well. You, I mean, you already had you know Motorhead doing their doing their thing, and and you know, I remember when I was really Probably like after high school when I started to kind of get into the new wave of British heavy metal stuff, even like Motorhead and Judas Priest. Um, I mean, there were people saying that like, you know, that Judas Priest and Motorhead were like, they started the whole quote unquote speed metal thing because of the way Filthy Animal played, the way Let's Beast played. You oh, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the Duka Chaka, Duka Chaka, you know, yeah. but faster, the D, kind of like the, the DB that like, the, you know, the crust punk scene kind of took, those guys created that, in my opinion. I mean, Les Binks. It's funny that you mention him because I don't think a lot of people really mention him as much as they mention like Filthy or or somebody like that, you know, you know, because but I mean, it's weird that he's kind of an unsung drummer, you know, in a lot of circles because of the great albums he has. Well, I think I think I mean even just the way that Priest have the just the way they've done stuff, you know, for for decades that. The, the bulk of the attention is on Glenn, Rob, and KK, right? True. Oh, yeah. So even, even like posters, it's very rare you get like an old school priest poster with anybody but those three guys on it. Mm-hmm. Or, or on top of that, too, you know, Dave Holland was there for, I think, like 12 years or whatever it was. He left prior to Painkiller. Um He's he's credited on Ram It Down, but I don't think he's actually on Ram It Down. I think it's all drum machines. Um, 
<laughs> but but Scott and then Scott comes into the band during the Painkiller era. So Les leaves right after Unleashed in the East. So that makes Dave's first album British Steel, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, because I remember, yeah, cause, I mean, obviously the, the videos off of uh, British Steel, you can see it's definitely not Les Binks. Hey, well, Dave, no, Dave, yeah, Dave Holmes and the Breaking the Law video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. It's weird to think about that because I, well, I think the thing with Les is that he's almost like, it was, I think the, the, the introduction of MTV helps Judas Priest's career immensely, obviously. So there's not, there's not a lot of like promo footage, but there's that, there's that, that concert movie of them playing in Japan on the Hellbent for Leather tour. Cause I think it's the one where Rob's wearing that white kimono mm -hmm. thing like the guys from Rush were wearing that sort of thing. I know Glenn's got that red outfit on. I remember seeing that, but Les is in that, but you don't get, there's not a lot of opportunity where they're focusing on Les a lot. You know what well, I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And because the thing of it is too, well, I, I picture um, uh, Dave Hall when I picture that early stuff, because just because of the video, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's who I picture as the drummer from that time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and I don't really. I mean, I I think in my head the less Binks playing, but I just because because even like the with the video for Head Out to the Highway and shit. You know what I mean? Like that's you know what you see on MTV and then pictures in that. I remember looking in like old like metal magazines and they'd have shit listed incorrectly. You know what I mean? It would it would say fucking Glenn Tipton when it actually would be fucking you know, uh, Ian Hill or just, you know what I'm saying? And then there'd just be like fuck ups like that. And, and then with the tape trading that I did, I would get fucking wrong information. You know what I mean? People would go, oh, right. I think, I think so and so. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of what we're talking about earlier with the confusion. So as far as like when Les stopped playing for them and whoever took over and the whole drummer, like lineage and genealogy of fucking Jewish priest completely fucking escaped. You know, I know very little about that. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it was just, like you said, it's always fucking Rob and Glenn and KK. You know what I mean? And then what, what blew me away was I remember like, um, I was watching like the uh, video for, um, I think it was, uh, Retribution. And even to this day, um, Ian Hill just stands back there and just plays <laughs> fake. You know what I mean? He just, yeah. He, well, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just he's... fucking. <laughs> He's like what's his name from Depeche Mode. Um, uh, every, everybody knows David Gahan, Martin Gore, and then the other guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and uh, uh, but the and then the one guy that quit, like in the early '90s or whatever it was. But yeah, he's he's there. He's not. I mean, he has like co-writes, like yeah. on, on a couple songs here and there on the first four albums. You know what I mean? So you know, like. Well, he's in the band. <laughs> but... He's got the coolest job ever. He just fucking chills by the drum riser, you know? Yeah, yeah. It just shows up, plays his part, and then he goes home, and that's. And I want to say the video. Oh fuck. Um. Oh. Uh. Shit. I want to say it's uh, something. Oh, is there a video for Running Wild? Is there a, 
No, I don't think so. Oh, shit. There's one song on this album that is a video for that you don't see very often. I saw it on um, on MTV Classic on their, their Metal Mayhem thing or whatever. There was some song off this fucking album. And it was, you know it was right before the leather era. And, like, it was crazy. Um, okay, what, what, okay, what's the Judas Priest video where there's fucking uh, shots of pole position video game in it? Uh, free Will Burning. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. That, like, that's not, yeah, that's not what I was to, looking up. I was like, is Running Wild making not a video? Not to get off of this album, you know, but the video for Free Will Burning, that fucking video rules, by the way. It's probably one of the best fucking songs. And that video, if someone told me that that video was filmed in 1979, I'd believe them. I love how fucking just archaic and just just antique those fucking, like the early, you know, it's very, very British fucking like just old school film fucking videos from that time. You know what I mean? Like right, yeah. like the, the video for Breaking the Wall looks like it could be a, a clip from the young ones or something. You know what I mean? It's, fucking, <laughs> it's great, you know? Well, you know I mean? no, I think, well, no, just, I mean, we're, we're it's funny that you mentioned it because I was, I was going to, I wrote it down because I wanted to ask you about it. We're talking about around the time of the winter of discontent. <laughs> Shit, yeah. So it doesn't matter what it was in the UK at that time. Everything looked like shit. <laughs> no, you're right. Oh my God. Like even, even the videos, you know what I mean? Even, yeah. pi even pictures, even if it wasn't a picture of like, you know, streets full of garbage bags and stuff, you could just tell that shit was not awesome around yeah. that time in the UK. So. Every, yeah, every fucking like movie or TV show you watch, like that was on PBS back in the day when we, you know, when you didn't have, you know, access to the BBC, you know, back then, you'd have PBS, they'd show a lot, of, a lot of British shows that were around that time. It was dreary as fuck. Always yeah. dreary. No matter what, <laughs> Benny Hill episodes. Funny, hilarious Benny Hill, Doctor right. Who, all that shit. It was just like, I noticed as a young kid, I'm like, what? Anything that's filmed in the fucking UK just has a weird sort of like aura to it, a weird kind of just, you know, <laughs> I, thing. I always, I always, I always, I always said this. I, I always said this, that, that breaking the law video. I, I, <laughs> I remember seeing it when I was a kid and I was like, it looked like they shot it on a bad day in Detroit. Totally. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> There's just... some Judas Priest video or some uh, Iron Maiden videos that are like that as well. And uh, I'm ACDC. Women, women in uniform. <laughs> I love that fucking video, dude. Oh, God. Yeah. And then, yeah. Anything with a, with a, with a fucking English cop looking at the, at the, at the camera and lip syncing the fucking chorus to the, the song. <laughs> All the videos had that, you know what I mean? Right, right. It's just like, it, it was, but yeah, you're right. Because it, it touched on that, like, the best time for fucking English heavy metal was just a gnarly fucking time for all, all of them. And, like, I mean, yeah, you're right. And yeah, you said the winner, it, it, the winner of discontent. <laughs> when, was, when was that exactly? Like, Seven, fucking, seven 79. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Seventy nine. So it would have been the the gist the gist of it is the the lorry drivers uh, lorries are what the UK people call semis. Okay. Um, the lorry drivers uh, some sort of fucking strike, and then Thatcher uh, Thatcher decided she was going to cut some funding or something. So trash stopped being picked up. And then mm. non-essential government jobs stopped. It's kind of like our equivalent of the government shutdown when, okay. we can't, when we can't agree on a budget. And it was literally like mountains of garbage in the streets. So it was like, uh, their, like Reagan, their Reagan era, like their, the winner of discontent 
brought great fucking English heavy metal, whereas like the Reagan era brought us great American punk rock. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely, absolutely. And you had like, uh, you would have bands would leave leave the country over there to as a tax shelter. Mm. To getting out of the country as a as a tax shelter for him because the country was struggling so bad around that time. So. See, that's awesome that you bring this up because when you watch these videos, these guys are fucking massive. Like even at that time, fucking rock gods. They're playing yeah. arenas. They're fucking. They're playing. So they're they're already fucking millionaires at this point, right? But you look at the videos and the the you know just like you said, there's piles of garbage, whatever. Even even when they're on a movie set, it looks like the most fucking like third hand fucking like they they use this in a fucking tv commercial for some english soap or something and that's all it's all we could get so we're gonna stand here and you know i i i I think I, (laughs) (laughs) i feel bad because i feel like we're laughing at like a horrible situation yeah like I feel I feel bad about laughing at it, but now it's funny because like the breaking the law video is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. The you cardboard know? guitar, the cardboard <laughs> guitar. That's all you got. To say. <laughs> I can't. I just. Mm. I, f- I feel I feel bad that I'm laughing at it, but I feel like it was a genuinely shitty situation in the yeah. UK. I. But I just, you know, the they're a working band at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're they're a working band, and it shows. Yeah, you know I mean, by the time by the time we get to, uh, by the time we get to British Steel, you know, I think I think up to that point, I think Unleashed in the East, the live album, it was one of the best selling that they had out of the what one, two, three. Five, five, six, six albums that they had put out by the, up to that point. It was okay. the best-selling one, so naturally they go back in for British Steel, and they have a bigger budget, so the album's just going to sound better. They're going to be able to take their time with it, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, think I, I, I just how how it relates to to you know why we're talking about Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather. That it's, I think it's it's a cool bookmark in time because you see. You can start to see on here what priest would become. Your sort of your residual image of priest, and you know, like quick, everybody think of Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. You think of like screaming for vengeance, and you can see hints of that on Hellbent for Leather, Killing Machine, which let's. Uh, that's why I let, think it's such a neat album. Let's talk Green Manalishi. <laughs> that fucking song is like that. I mean, that to me, that is the crowning jewel of this album. And you know what I mean? Really? Like, I honestly, okay, just think about it. You've got, I mean, you've got some, you know, straight ahead rockers, right? Green yeah. Manalishi is fucking, it's, it's mid-tempo and then it just gets epic as fuck with like Rob Halford accompanying the fucking, the, the guitar harmonies with his, oh, yep. and it's just like, I mean, it's to me, okay, it, it's not my favorite song on the album, but to me, it's the fucking, it, it hits a track seven and it's like it's like okay wow we fucking didn't expect this it's it's it all built up to that and then the slope after that it just it's just it's very well sequenced and whenever yes. i listen to it i noticed the album is perfectly fucking sequences even with fucking uh, um uh, take on the world that would be a throwaway or like an intro or an outro on other people's albums but they happen to put that at the perfect fucking spot on the album because dude it fucking it sets you up for burning up 
which which is like a really awesome like gonna get some ass kind of fucking song. You know what I mean? Well, well I think yeah the. I mean, I like the Green Man Alishi. I think. Yeah. That, I mean, I mean, do we want to talk about Fleetwood Mac's version? I mean, well, that's the confusion for me too, because it's just kind of like I've never heard the Fleetwood Mac version, and I just didn't think <laughs> there'd be any way that they could have come up with that from the, you know, from. Well, a, it's it's like the difference between their version of Diamonds and Rust and Joan Baez's version of it. Sure. Like, yeah. It's, it's that different. It's it's that different. I mean, the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac shit. It's just like, I don't. It's you know that's what I mean? better. That's the, that's better than the later shit, to be honest. Because Peter Green was an amazing fucking blues guitar player. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, he and, is. I the the only the only Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac stuff I'm okay with is the album that they did with Christine McVie. By the time Christine McVie joined the band, I'm okay with that album, but I cannot stand anything else. Nothing. I got you. No, it's, I, just, it's like kryptonite. It sucks the life out of me. Yeah. Ugh. Well, you got to think about from the perspective of Jewish priest when you look at their choices of covers, right? Like, you know, obviously, like you said, they took they took a. I, I love when bands do a cover and they do their own version of it. You know what I mean? They put their own spin on it, which is fucking great. And what's cool about that is people got to think that at the time that you know you didn't have Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and that, like back then, you had like. Bands that were, you had like Blue Cheer, you had Uriah Heep, Deep Purple, kind of like getting old and stale, you know, Black Sabbath. And like the music that the guys in Judas Priest came up listening to, they didn't come up listening to like the heavier bands. I think I knew about them and maybe did, but like they picked from their influence and what kind of got them into shit. So there's a reason why they covered Diamond and Russ. There's a reason why they covered Green Man Alicia because you know they're cynical, man. I can fucking. You know, this song's badass. I I could do a really cool version of this, or like it'd be rather. You know, it comes yeah. out from from nowhere, and it shows that like because they because you turn on the radio in the fucking mid seventies, you're gonna hear like you know you know early disco, and then the Osmonds and shit. You know what I mean? And then in the sixties, it's really you know it's different because like rock and roll people and people that are in a heavier, darker, or more progressive music or whatever from like the fucking late sixties into the early seventies. That was a niche, a small niche of people. So yeah. everywhere you went, I mean, so there's somebody going, I want something, I want something fucking better. And they go, oh, there's that one Fleetwood Mac song that's fucking actually pretty badass. That you know that doesn't fit. Or man, Joan Baez, she was actually a pretty badass bitch. You know, I mean, she she fucking she, even though she didn't play anything heavy, she had so much conviction behind what she was doing, and she was very revolutionary. And so you know, just there's a whole lot of different elements of music and the artists combined. To influence people to do what they're doing musically, whether it's how it sounds or their approach or how they dress or what they sing about. So, what's really awesome about a cover like this and even a cover like Diamonds and Rust or whatever, it comes from a different fucking place to where you see their influences and the climate. Wasn't because you could be a band nowadays. Oh, let's cover Rain and Blood. That'd be cool, you know, or whatever. Or, you know what I mean? It's like it's already it's already there. It's already a metal song for you. And they actually fucking you know took on the challenge. You know, creatively to go, hey, let's fucking make a metal song out of Green Man Alicia. You well, know, that's, I mean, it's it's a neat part of it's a neat part of the, the the sort of history of metal, anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean. The the I've I can't I can't remember who I heard say it first, uh, but it's always stuck with me. I think it was KK. I think he was, I heard it from him in an interview that Sabbath was heavy, but Priest was metal. Yep. You yeah. Know? And that and and. You can see Judas Priest 
you you can literally you literally have documentation of them creating heavy metal. Mm -hmm. Like you can see it one two three four five six step by step. You can you can literally trace it back to the beginning of it, and you can see them make it. You know, yeah. and that 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 Green Man Alishi cover is a good example of that. You know what I mean? Where you can sure. take take something completely different and just turn it into your own thing. I think, but I don't. I mean, it's like it's like it's it is a perfect Judas Priest song. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Just oh, like sure. like Wasted Years or Power Slave or fucking Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. They can, they cannot make that song any better given who they were at that time. Yeah. That that it is a perfect 10. That's one of those songs. Like to to me, to me the album I could delivering the goods, burning up Green Man Alishi and uh uh uh, running wild like mm -hmm. you, you they could have just released those four songs and i would have been okay i'm good yeah I, I i don't need anything else but i i don't know i like burning up i like burning up more probably more than anything else on the album well there's okay the the riff that that song's got a fucking amazing riff in it and like yeah, honestly all these songs are total fucking riff like riff beats man like every one of them yep. i mean it, they all have, and that's what really drew me to this and stained class. Like this before stained class, but like, and like I said, you know, I heard Hellbent for Leather, the fucking don't, and and to this day, every fucking song I write for Locomotive Gun on guitar, I call it the Judas Priest area of the fucking guitar, the fucking <laughs> third to the seventh fret, right? Yeah, right. I, I stay right in there because I know that that combination, that area is going to bring me rock and roll metal and epic shit that's just where i like to be because of, you know what i mean when i first learned how to play play breaking the law and then i'm like then i'm fucking around with uh um with you know we're trying to play hellbent for leather i'm like shit it's in the same spot this is where i want to be with my song and then i got into motor i'm like god damn some of motorheads fucking stronger songs are in this area so yep. but i always call that the judas priest area of the guitar because of that and because they work that fucking shit and you're right dude i love what you said about you're watching metal take fucking shape, you know, yeah. take form. And then what? Uh, but what the thing about it is, though, uh, an interview I heard with Kerry King when he was talking about this album, talking about this era of Priest, and then Priest going forward, he's just like Priest is a rock and roll band. And he was just like, oh no, I'm sorry, Brett Hines from uh, Macedon said this. I'm sorry, but Brett, Brett Hines from Macedon said that because he was on a podcast and they were talking about like you know. Maiden and Priest. What do you, you know, what do you think? Or, you know, talking about classic metal bands. And he said that he's always seen Judas Priest as a rock and roll band, which I think they're a rock and roll band in the way that Motorhead is a rock and roll band. Sure. Because rock and roll is at, the, is at the fucking core of all of it. It all spins off that. And people, I've, people arguably will say that Motorhead created heavy metal. People will say Judas Priest created heavy metal. People will say fucking Maiden or whatever the fuck. People argue it. But, Honestly, I think scientifically fucking down to, you know, the fucking letter, I agree with you that, like, that heavy metal developed at this era with Judas Priest. Because yeah. there's a reason why, you know, because I mean, the people that come up now, you know, maybe, you know, a few years, ten years younger than me or you or whatever, they won't really, they can't really comprehend the impact that Judas Priest really fucking had on the musical landscape. 1978, oh, yeah. think about what yeah. the fuck was on the radio in 1978. And even going on, I mean, you know, you had Kiss on their downslope. You know what I mean? Fucking Kiss Me the Phantom of the Park came out. 
the solo albums and shit, and they were starting to crumble. You know, Aerosmith was starting to crumble. You know what I mean? Uh, Led Zeppelin was starting to fucking fade away. You know what I'm saying? And then fucking in, in the middle of all that shit, Judas Priest basically they they were kind of like one of the bands that just did what the fuck they wanted to do. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I I think of them, and I I always think of not because of sound. I mean, but I always think of Priest and the Scorpions together, but but not just not just making about making it about a metal conversation but making it about a sort of bigger rock and roll conversation i always think of priest and acdc sort of hit the they hit the the bottleneck together you know sure. what i mean and they yeah. they kind of helped inform what was going to come after that you know what i mean <laughs> like i mean acdc that you're talking highway to hell around yeah. this around this time you're, and then eventually, out of out of Highway to Hell, we get the first two Def Leppard albums. You know what I mean? Mm. Or, or you know, Rob Halford talks about the influence of Black Sabbath on him. All you know, all throughout his career, he loves Sabbath. You know, yeah. But I think, I, it's yeah, it's it. Like I said, I think you can with Judas Priest, you can literally see metal being created. Mm -hmm. Like you can see it happen. You can you go you can go from the first album to Screaming for Vengeance, and in that time, metal was created. Hey, what's up, motherfucker? This is Dustin from Music the Lifeblood. Are you on Instagram? Do you like that shit? Well, guess what? So is Music the Lifeblood. Just search Music the Lifeblood. You can check out pictures of my record collection, and you're gonna get random pictures of Haggis the Wonder Mutt, the official Music the Lifeblood dog. <laughs> All right, Instagram. Fuck yeah. Music to lifeblood. Woo! Well, and you know, it's crazy too, to the exact, that exact point. Um, Exciter on the album previous to this, right? Like, Stand no, by nothing. Yeah, dude, nothing else had ever, honestly, that's, that is the, the song that started speed metal. Because I remember hearing that song and then doing research years ago going like, that fucking song came out in 78? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just the fucking how fast it is and the beat. It's just like, you took like a fast kind of Motorhead song that would be on like maybe like, you know, Overkill or Ace of Spades or Bomber or whatever. But you put Halford's fucking like high, you know, high pitch metal as fuck vocals. Right. Lemmy didn't have metal vocals. He just fucking had like punk Gruff. rock vocals. It was gruff. Yeah, exactly. It was more of a rock and roll, bluesy, blues meets punk, whatever. But I mean, say if you took like, um, you know, a song like fucking, you know, like 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 Overkill, or um, even even for the most part, even like a song of Ace of Spades, just just to play to the obvious crowd, like, and put Halford's vocal. Halford's vocals are metal as fuck. And then you take KK, you know, and I mean, you take both guitar players. Add that, it's like that is the, the fucking the trifecta of metal right fucking there right. And it's, it's weird though that it doesn't matter who the fuck is on drum you know what i'm saying because you think about like what See, drives a lot of genres you know I, I think it does i think it oh. does with priest i think one of the one of the worst decisions that they ever made was that they felt like they wanted a, they wanted a drummer that would be more commercially pal you know palatable Really? Okay. You know what I mean, that was that was part of the reason that was part of the reason they went with Dave Holland was that he wasn't this overtly 
com- complex sort of drummer. You know okay. what I mean? And Dave, I mean, what what did Dave do? But what is it? Trapeze? Is that the only thing he did? Really of 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 note? Did he do trapeze with uh um with fucking um uh Glenn? What's his face from Deep Purple and all that? Glenn, Glenn Hughes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it, it, okay. It's like I personally, I I'm not, I'm saying like the general public never really seemed to give a shit who was on drum. I care to a point but like i said i get lost in the muck because there's, there's a handful of them yeah, but it's, yeah it's important to me who's playing drums because i think because when, when i watch bands like i went and saw la guns the other night and like the fucking drummer is a totally new guy right and even though you've got fucking phil lewis on vocals and, and you know tracy guns you know on guitar those are you know whatever those are the guys right but i watch the drummer and i watch the guitar, the guitar player when i go see bands play right so you didn't have anybody in Drew's Priest that was fucking just like, oh my god, dude, you know Peter Chris, oh my god, dude, John Bonham, you know what I mean? Sure. Like it wasn't, you know, you, and what it kind of bored me because in, in fucking Iron Maiden you got fucking Nico McBrain, you know what I mean? And I think you know he, you know he he changed the way that um, the Iron Maiden sounded in a lot of ways, and so I think that like oh, yeah. none of the yeah. none of the drummers in Priest really got the fucking props that they should have got. Well, I think I think part of it I think part of it had to do with because they because they walked away from those um I I don't know what else to call it other than like some of those progressive tendencies. Okay, you yeah. I mean they they walked they walked away from it. you got we got Rockarola, Sad Wings, uh, sin after sin, stained class, and then unleashed in the east. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are first five. Well, I skipped Hellbent for leather. So those are the first six. Those are the <laughs> first six albums. On El Rockarola and Sad Wings, you can hear that sort of like proggy art rock shit. You know yeah. what I mean? You can yeah. you can hear a little bit of when you listen to a listen to a song like Island of Domination or fucking uh Winter Winter off of Rockarola. You you listen to those songs and you can tell it was like a lot of it was like this big sort of like sweeping storytelling mm-hmm. just just this gigantic orchestrated affair sort of thing that they were into and I think when they they go from John Hinch to Les Binks and Les Binks was a very very technically proficient drummer especially for that time I think they I think they associated that sort of style of drumming with that what they that they wanted to move away from that and they wanted to be able to do this a little more of an accessible sort of thing because what they had been doing previous wasn't necessarily working so when True, they do yeah. so when they do try something like you know uh i don't i don't know what's on stain class what's uh better by you better than me oh uh, yeah saints in hell savage saints beyond the realms of death is on there <clears throat> songs like that they start to walk away from that sort of big epic format and i think by the time they get to hellbent for leather killing machine they go okay this is probably the direction we need to be taking it in and True. then less less leaves the band and so they go with dave holland who is this quote unquote simpler drummer you know what I mean, and yeah. I, I I think they saw that as 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 a means for them to be able to. What one of the things that would help them be more successful? 
not necessarily, no, not necessarily not necessarily the most successful but mm -hmm. be more successful at what they're doing but which is funny though because by the time you get to 1992 91 92 painkiller era they go with scott travis and the lead single off of painkiller has this massive double bass complicated drum intro to it you mm -hmm. know what i mean so i'm a i'm of the opinion that one of the worst things they did was was actually go with dave holland you know mm. had had they stuck with less binks or had less binks decided to stick with them whatever i mean you hear different stories but I, I think they would have gotten heavier quicker. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't really have the um, the song. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it like the it's it's almost like arena rock meets bar rock vibe of like the stuff off of uh, um, off British Steel, Living After Midnight, another thing sure, coming. Sure, you know, sure. which I fucking love that shit. But I mean, I really kind of think that maybe in a way, you know, I don't know for sure, but you know maybe what ACDC was doing at the time and the more kind of like rock and roll direction that Saxon was going and like the British had the uh, new wave of British heavy metal stuff that was going, you know, less prog. Cause like you said, I mean, a lot of that shit, okay. Rock and roll, for example, that term rock and roll was what people used to describe shit. That was like pre metal. You know what I mean? You didn't really have heavy metal yet. You know, um, you didn't really, if it wasn't progressive and it wasn't fucking rhythm and blues, it was like this more heavier, bigger, but not quite like fucking yes or Genesis type thing. Right. It had, it had a rock and roll vibe to it, but like they couldn't, could, I mean, you had the pub rock bands, right? You know, um, you know, in England and shit like that, you know, like boom, boom, out goes the lights, you know, and that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Which, which was like, you know, which was big, but you had the pub rock and then, and then you had like the fucking rock and roll bands. Just thought of pro progressive edge, so they literally called it rock and roll. And then even even while Black Sabbath was going on, that wasn't called heavy metal. You know what I mean? And it, years later, after freaking Born to Be Wild came out, people stuck. You know, oh yeah, heavy metal thunder. But you know, it was like heavy metal was people. I remember watching some bullshit documentary years and years ago where they said that heavy metal was born with Born to Be Wild because it said heavy metal thunder. I'm like, no, people didn't acknowledge that till years fucking later. You know what I mean? So people were stuck with you know. When when Priest's first album came out, it was like we don't know what to call it. It's it's called rock. It's not rock and roll. It's rock and roll because it's heavy. It's progressive. It can go in a fucking super pretty direction and be ballady, then come back and be bluesy. So the term the term heavy rock got thrown around a lot too. Yeah, I watched a I watched an interview with uh, Glenn and Rob, and uh, the dude that was interviewing didn't know what the fuck. He, I mean, he did. He was just like, okay, I'm interviewing a band, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. And the term heavy rock came up in that interview. And I remember I, I, I thought to myself, I was like, man, imagine how fucking difficult it was to, to try to put a tag yeah. on, on that stuff around that time. Cause you didn't have anything. You don't have the, you don't have deck, you don't have decades and decades of stratified, you know, heavy music mm. culture and subgenres and stuff to be able to do it. And I was like, yeah, no wonder, no mm -hmm. wonder it took so long for everybody to go, okay, heavy metal is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's because no one, it was like, it was band speaking a language that no one had heard yet. Do you think that the heavy metal really be okay? Because I remember seeing clips of not to always go back to Kiss, but I remember seeing clips of Kiss in the late '70s and people being like this heavy metal onslaught of fire and blood. 
You know what I mean? They they right. they would call it heavy metal in a in not as this is a genre called heavy metal, but they use that to describe what you're hearing and seeing. You know what I mean? And I remember this interview with uh, um this kid like on one of the the many Kiss DVDs and VHSs where the, the kid's like, I like them. They got a hard driving hard driving hard rock beat. You know what I mean? And like, so people really didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And then at the, at the exact same time, Kiss was going on. You had you know you had Judas Priest. Right. Doing their thing too, and even like you know, even Rush before they became all keyboardy and fucking you know fairies and fucking unicorns, like they they were kind of all in that shit because you had Kiss doing their thing, Judas Priest doing their thing, Black Sabbath. They were kind of sort of the elder statesmen in a way, you know. But it, it, you can argue that they came out the exact same time as Priest, but they they got bigger before, obviously. But I mean, yeah, you're at a time in the seventies where just People are like, what the fuck is this shit? And I, I've heard a, a lot of guys talk about like, yeah, man, back in the fucking late seventies, you know, if you were a rock, if you're a rock guy, if you were into rock and roll, you were in a small clique at your school, man. You were the, you were the guys wearing fucking, you know, jean jackets with a UFO logo drawn on in marker. You know what I mean? And you were fucking, you were into Thin Lizzy and, you know, you were the rock and roll people. Everybody else was listening to, you know, to, to disco or didn't even fucking listen to music. They were into their sports and shit or they didn't care. You know what I mean? It wasn't really like, you know, but like, it was like just how you see the punk rockers in your school or the fucking like the, the goths or whatever. Those were the rock and roll guys. You know what I mean? It was, you know, yeah. the jury was out whether or not they were stoners or not. You know what I mean? But, you know, exactly, you know, because like they looked kind of like the guys, the guys that were no, in the great I I think you just kind of make the assumption. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. He's probably high right now. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> Dirty. He's got a shirt on that's black and it's got like a, you know, a skull on it in 1977. So he's probably on drugs. Right. You know, no, no other, no other. You can't assume anything but that. So, I, no, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think. I th I think the idea what 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 I'm trying to get at the the end of the the end of the this line of thought is is that you don't have I do, I don't think you you don't get metal metal does not happen if Judas Priest is not there nope. I don't and I think that's the important thing to acknowledge and why why it's important to acknowledge it specifically with this album Hellbent for Leather Killing Machine is because that is it is literally the you you start to see the genesis of it mm -hmm. where it's very noticeable you know the it's sort of like the missing link i guess okay. between us and apes you know what i mean okay check yeah. out this analogy you'll you'll really like this okay so you've got <laughs> you've got you've got stained class you've got uh killing machine helmet for leather and then you've got um you know you've got uh british steel and then screw for business right okay would you point say of, point of entry is in there too? Oh, I'm, I'm, okay, wait. Okay, what 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 comes right after British Steel? Point of entry. Point of entry. Okay, okay, okay. So let's say let's do a little kiss comparison, right? Okay. You've got um, okay, you've got uh, uh you got the, the the first album, and you've got Hotter Than Hell, and you got Dressed to Kill, and then you obviously let's skip over Alive, but then you get um, Destroyer, right? Right. Do you think Destroyer was Kisses British Steel? Because after Destroyer, they go to fucking Rock and Roll Over, where it's back to fucking like filthy, dirty. I mean, they're all filthy and dirty, but you no, know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Um, no, I don't. No, okay. No, 
I don't. I, with Kiss, with with <laughs> with it. Okay, the, the kid. Yeah, oh my God, the we can't get into a Kiss conversation. <laughs> so okay, what I'm trying to ask is this: do you, do you think that British Steel, the success of British Steel, right. made it okay for them? Okay, you guys are paying attention. We're fucking up here now. Now let's fucking you know. It's just like we got your you know we we got the we got the money. We weren't really intending to sell out or do anything like write pop hits, but that's what happened. And then now we can fucking do fast fucking shreddy shit. You know what I mean? It's like boom, we we oh, built yeah, up yeah we, we yeah. built up our fucking platform off of this other shit. And now we don't have to do another living after midnight. We can fucking do Jawbreaker. You know what I mean? We can do. Yeah. You know, so well, I get there's there's a there's a weird sort of trajectory to the priest catalog. You know what I mean? The the Rockerola, Sad Wings, Sin After Sin, Stained Class era is on a sort of upward thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You hit you hit Hellbent for Leather, and then you have a and then you hit one more up, and then you hit British Steel, and then British Steel they do that and they go okay cool. And then all of a sudden you get a little bit of a dip down to point of entry and point of entry fits to, in my opinion, fits closer to stuff like sin after sin and staying class yes. than it, than it does with British steel. But then you go, you immediately go to screaming for vengeance and then screaming for vengeance and defenders of the faith. You can kind of, I kind of treat those as like sister albums. They're siblings. Yeah. So they would be kind of like, you know how like, like, uh, in my opinion, Stain, Stain Class and Hellbent for Leather are sister albums. Those other two are sister albums. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, they, yeah. It, it, and, it, then, cool. and then from there, you have you go to Turbo and Ram It Down, which are yeah. similar to each other. But from Turbo, you hit that commercial peak right there. You go back down to Ram It Down, which Ram It Down is real similar to Screaming for Vengeance. Same sort of tone. They seem and to kind of, yeah. You hit you hit painkiller directly after that. And then from there, they just get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. So, so there's, there's a, there's a peak and a valley within yeah. upward, the upward trajectory of their catalog. And that's smart because even when they, fuck, yeah, obviously with turbo, they probably lost a bunch of diehards. They're fucking snooty assholes. They didn't want to fucking accept it. They're doing what the fuck they want to do. But, but did, but did it pay off though? Did it totally did, did. The, the diehards that fell off? Did they make up for in the casual fans yeah. that they picked up around? It seems that like time. they kept doing that. Even with fucking, I, I guarantee you there's probably some dudes, when fucking like breaking the law and help in, you know, and, uh, um, you know, when, when British Steel came out, there was probably some people that like loved it when it came out. Fuck yeah, this is because there are solid hard rock and fucking just kick you in the face kind of fucking songs that happened to become over the years classic rock radio staples. And there's right. people that are going like, oh, well, fuck, I don't want to listen to British Steel because they're sellout album. Actually, it's not. They kept doing what the, they kept doing the, the fucking Judas Priest formula, but they just honed it and refined it. And they happened that because that was back in the day when you would put something out and go, "Hey, fuck, check this out!" Boom, everybody likes it. Now it's like, "Hey, you're gonna like this. I'm giving you this because this is what you're gonna like." Or like something comes out, it's already got money behind it, it's already pushed. Judas Priest legitimately got huge on British Steel because people fucking liked it, and I really think that's it was real organic fucking numbers. People that fucking I want this. It wasn't like you know, like you get like a. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even now with fucking, okay, this is the new Katy Perry song, so get ready to like it. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Or, <laughs> you know, because it, because they have so much, 
so much corporate push behind it. You know what right. I mean? Right. And Judas Priest, I mean, they had yeah, to have some money behind them, and they, and they tore their asses off back then. But I really think that an album like British Steel that that gained them legit, real, organic people liked it for what it was. It was a solid fucking thing. And those three fucking albums right there are fucking phenomenal because they define Priest at that time. And they got their props, they got fucking respect, they got fans, they got huge sales, number ones and shit, because it was good, not because of, like you said, Paola and stuff. And with the trajectory you're talking about, it's cool because even when they do the kind of like, oh, this is more radio, they still had, they were they were a legacy before they were ever a legacy band. Sure. So, fucking it makes It makes sense. Yeah, I think that you're right. I mean, you're right about Judas Priest uh, or about British Steel. It's, I mean, I, I don't, you're right about it. And that the only way that we get to British Steel is we go through Hellbent for Leather to get there. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the only way it happens. So I think, I mean, even there, even if, if it, even if it's a sort of a gateway album into the rest of their career, it's yeah. it could it could be it could be one of the most important albums of their career just because of that. Yeah, and let's just pretend that fucking like <laughs> it's, it's not all over rock radio, all the fucking big songs of that. Let's just pretend that it didn't go fucking supernova, right? Right. And you someone someone shows you, hey, check out this fucking album from nineteen seventy nine or whatever. Um, eighty. When, when did a British Steel come out? Eighty, eighty one. I think it's eighty. Yeah. yeah you know, and 80. then. So, I mean, and just kind of like, you know, shows you that shit and say you just didn't know how huge that was. And then after that, you go, okay, now check out the album before it. Like, holy fuck. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's so fucking solid. And I hate so much how like people that say they're such huge music fans or fucking whatever aficionados of the shit that will let certain things taint like what they really feel about it. You know, they go, oh, I can't like this because of this, you know, oh, this has breaking the law on it. I can't like it. I'm like, well, what about all the other amazing songs that are on it? You know what I mean? And Judas Priest, I think, is one of those bands that really kind of unfortunately got a little bit of that over the years because they've been around for so fucking long, you know. And you get the people that, you know, and then of course, you know, the elephant room for a lot of people that like, yeah, I used to like them until I found out Rob Halford was gay. I'm like, no, you're just a fucking asshole and you don't know how to listen to music. You know what I mean? And it's just because. You get the people that go, you know, they, they like it because it's popular, they like it because the cool kids like it, or they like it because they're, they think they're supposed to. And they let something stupid like something that's not even involved with the music affect that. And I think the whole Halford coming out thing is just as lame as someone going, I don't like Priest because I'm sick of hearing Breaking Law on radio. You know what I mean? Sure. Because they've done so fucking much, and there's such a fucking, they're such a legit metal band. You know what I mean? They have such a connection to the underground of metal in so many ways. I mean, people, I mean, you get like black metal dudes that fucking record on a one track that will fucking love Judas Priest because they acknowledge that, yeah, that's metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. They fucking, yeah. They, they write yeah. brutal, aggressive shit and they wear fucking black leather. That's fucking metal. You know well, what I mean? Go, I mean, it goes, it goes back to what KK Downing said. Sabbath mm-hmm. was heavy. Priest yeah. is metal. When did the leather kick off for like, when, when did, when did Priest kind of just like switch from like, Random cool guy clothes to this fucking boom now we're leather. This this album, okay. Hellbent, Hellbent for leather, Killing Machine. Okay. Um, the uh, uh, when you look at the back cover, have, do you have you ever looked at the LP, the the back cover of the LP? I got the the remastered CD with all you that. Got the shit. CD version. Well, there's a. I have mine right here. There's a picture of them. I don't know if you can see it. So 
but right. And that's that's the same picture that's on the CD. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. <clears throat> I mean, looking at that, you can see. You know, Rob's got a leather jacket on in the picture. Mm-hmm. You know, Ian's wearing that sort of kimono thing, and Glenn's got his red outfit on. But I think this is when it started to work its way into the aesthetic. When you, I mean, when you look at the cover of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've always loved the album cover. Always loved that. So okay, so what's the okay? Explain to me real quick. Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather. What's what's that all about? Like, was was their original name of it, Killing Machine? They had to change it because it was too violent or something like that. Yep. Or Yep, okay. exactly. Yep, huh. exactly. It. I think um, I, you know, I've never, I've, I've never owned or I've never seen a cover of it that says "kill," that just says "killing machine." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've seen a version of it on CD that up in the corner where it says "Hellbent Leather." It says "Killing Machine," and then I've seen a version of it, it basically the, almost the exact same way. And then I can't find it. I was trying to find it last night online. But I've actually seen a cover that's got a different, uh, different artwork on it that says "Killing Machine," but it looks like it's from the same photo session. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But I don't, I don't know nothing about that. But uh, could be, it, could yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know because I've, I've even me as a collector, I've had some confusion with it myself. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always heard it's out there, but I've n- literally never seen one myself. I think I scroll, scrolled past it on Amazon when I was looking for it, and it, it, I saw the, the version of it. Cause I remember a long time ago seeing a version of this, you know, with the, the guy with the glasses on and shit. It said Killing Machine at a record store when I was younger. I didn't really know. I, I thought, because like, I'd seen so many Kiss bootlegs and ACDC bootlegs and Van Halen bootlegs in record stores, and I figured, okay, there's some guy that kind of got savvy and fucking you know, took a, another album cover and just called it something else because it was, he wanted to, he wanted to call his live album some live bootleg sure. something cool. That's what I thought it was. But, um, but the thing, but the thing of it is, man, like, uh, um, you know, with, with, uh, with Hellbent for Leather, um, being kind of the album where they fucking switched over, you know, aesthetically live, I think it's cool because Halford was really becoming comfortable in the gay community and he was, he was hanging out like a lot of these leather shops and, when you had like Malcolm McLaren's store in, you know, Kings Road in England, you know, he, you know, his sex store was, you know, it influenced like a lot of the SM movement that was going on around, around then. And well, as, you I, know. I, I do think, I do think you, you're, it's funny because you're mentioning sex. Um, just in case anybody that doesn't know what it is, um, there's the dude that quote unquote managed the sex pistols. Um, he had a he had a, a clothing store called Sex in in London and that's where a lot of the punk rockers that became notable figures in the London punk scene from the late seventies, that's where they hung out. Anyway, I just want to make sure everybody knows what it is. But as it relates to Rob kind of introducing that sort of visual element into the band, that's it yes yes it was he all he was doing was just taking the shit that was going on in the gay community and just bringing it to the metal community Mm -hmm. and that's and you can't understate that you know what i mean because it's something that still happens now Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like black metal black metal would not look the way that it looks had rob halford not did what he did oh yeah i I mean 
that that's what's amazing about it and we go it goes back to what we were talking about before you can literally see metal being created not only from a, a music standpoint but from a visual standpoint it's 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 fascinating it's fascinating well, and that's and that's why he's the metal god you know he's a he's a he's a metal god he created metal you know and you know it's just it's fucking funny because like when you hear him talk you know and then I was talking to somebody a few years ago about like about that they was a fucking stupid priest uh maiden uh, debate and I was just kind of like really you know so much aesthetically and like you know stylistically you know audio visual everything comes from fucking priest even when I wasn't even really a big priest fan when I was younger I acknowledged that like yeah that was the first place you really saw that shit you know, and then you had like Venom. Venom fucking took what Priest did and fucking ran with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know, and even to a small degree, after a while, um, even uh, uh, I think the um, the Iron Fist um, album and tour of Motorhead, uh, like they they fucking started looking very Priest like. You know what I mean? And and it was it, it's just it's you can't you can't deny it because like I was thinking you know like oh, yeah calls him something metal god whatever somebody called him that and I was like thinking you know actually it sounds kind of pompous to a degree, but you fucking can't not can't yes. disagree. Rob Halford yes. is the metal god. And <laughs> yeah, what's funny yes. too is he, he, he had long hair for maybe a portion of the mid to early 70s, right? Yeah, and it was bit, funny. Yeah. He did all this with fucking a receding fucking hairline and then <laughs> all this motherfucker. I mean, like look at the video for right. Press Guidance. He's got a yeah. fucking mullet. And he's fucking got Klaus Mine fucking hairline going on. It doesn't give a fuck because he's Rob fucking Halford. He's yeah. got a voice that can fucking just kill anybody. You know what I mean? And it's just like, that's what's so great about Judas Priest too. Because it's just like, they defy the odds in so many fucking ways. Dude. Like, you know, the fucking, uh, uh, the, uh, the alleged better by you better than me suicide thing. You know what I mean? Um, the fucking, like the PMRC. You know what I mean? Like fucking metal not being fucking cool. You know, they, they went through, they just lived through that shit, you know? And even when Halford wasn't seeing for Priest and they had, what's his nuts, um, fucking singing, you know, uh, Ripper. Ripper, yeah. When they had him, Halford was still putting <laughs> Halford's solo album in fight and making shit way better than the fucking Priest shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm just, that, for, that first fight album was that War, uh, War of Words? Yeah. 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 It was like fucking like Halford doing Pantera. You know what I mean? Was, to the pit. <laughs> yep. And, and you know what's funny too? Because people were like, yeah, he was trying to fucking like, he wasn't jumping on a fucking bandwagon. He was going like, hey guys, let me fucking show you how it's done. You know what I mean? That's how I felt when Halford came in and did fight and shit. And when he did fucking like Halford Resurrection, I mean, come on, dude. That album is fucking just like that. If, if that was the last album Halford ever sang on, dude, it would be a perfect fucking swan song for him. Because yeah. Halford Resurrection was fucking start to finish perfect I the, the only thing i couldn't get into was the the two album i couldn't yeah i, couldn't I tried remember. i can't yeah. i've been a yeah. fan of like you know of the industrial day I, I like heavy hard industrial stuff stuff that kind of flirts with the kind of dancier sort of like death rock you know industrial you know new wavy kind of stuff but that was almost too like okay i want trent Reznor to reinvent me kind of thing you know what i mean it was but that was, I don't, know, I don't really think that was really his intent. I, I kind of think that was sort of part and parcel of his statement that he's out of the closet. It was yeah. kind of a, it was a big fuck you. 
Well, I think I think a lot of that, yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with um, that specifically that kind of music. Like I always think of Clive Barker. Um, okay. A while back, I did an episode of Vinyl Thursday on the the anniversary edition of the Hellraiser soundtrack. That um, uh, what's his name, Chris? I think Chris Young, the composer. Um, the 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 music he did for that, and before Clive had committed to. Uh, using that guy to do the soundtrack. <coughs> I'm dying. Sounds um, like the uh, before he committed to that, there is uh, he was he was going to go with Coil. He was going to go with the band Coil. Oh, I love Coil. <laughs> uh, and if you don't know who Coil is, it's kind of like first, second generation sort of electronic music sort of thing. They were very brutal, like in in, in their approach. Things. Yeah, that they yeah, 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 yeah. And Clive, Clive was, you know, you can, you can kind of see how sort of Clive Barker's, his temperamental proclivities, you know, brought him to Coil. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because he wrote a movie kind of that had a little bit of self-narrative in it about his experience as a gay man and how he was attracted to that music scene. Mm -hmm. that, that coil we're doing and i think it's the same thing with that two album that yeah. Rob Halford did that all that was was probably just an extension of what he was experiencing at that time yeah. within the gay community you know you have you know like I, I i remember when kylie minogue just exploded out of nowhere in the early 2000s i think i remember i remember watching an episode of saturday night live with ian mckellen hosting mm -hmm. it and Kylie Minogue was on there and I remember like and I remember having a buddy of mine go that what is this so I was like dude it's fucking Ian McKellen it makes sense that yeah. he, he would want to host that episode with Kylie Minogue and it's and it's the same thing with with the the two project that Rob Halford did I think it was just a reflection of of mm -hmm. what he was seeing going on in the gay community and that's an overarching thing in within his career yeah. You know what I mean? He introduced the 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 leather, the visual, the the BDSM visuals and things like that. He introduces that to Priest and that's something he's comfortable with. Mm -hmm. He got he gotten to a point where he could in an artistic sense he could he uh, what what he was what he was advocating for in an artistic sense was just in an, an extension of that aspect of his personality. So Yeah. I remember. It's, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. I just uh. well, it it, it 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 is because it's, it's like again, it's it's kind of like the by and large homophobic masculine male metal community of of the eighties were being led by a gay man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> see, I what what I don't get what what I don't understand was, <laughs> what I don't understand is. How did you guys not know he was gay? <laughs> I sort of knew something was up even when I was younger. Because, yeah, you know, he, li he literally, he literally rode out on the stage on a Harley with a riding crop in his mouth <laughs> and sang a song called Turbo Lover. <laughs> like, and then, okay, and when I was in high school, like when I, I rediscovered Hellbent for Leather, right, um, me and my, uh, uh, my friend Mike, dude, we, uh, we fucking... We saw the video on Headbangers Ball, and I'm sitting here going, "Okay, oh, yeah, that's the video I saw when I was younger." Da, 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 right? So we got into Judas Priest again, kind of like you know when we were. I think we were probably like 
sophomores in high school. We were into everything else too, but like we fucking loved it because we we died laughing because on one hand we fucking love the song, we love Juice Priest, but we're sitting there going, "Oh my god, dude!" And you see the you see the Police Academy movie with the guys that walk into the gay bar, you know, the oyster, right? They walk in there, all these dudes look like Rob Halford. They got the fucking police hats on, the you know, leather vests and shit like that, right? So obviously, from like when I was a little kid and I, you know, real young before Police Academy and shit, hearing Held Up for Leather, then you grow up and all through, all, you know, elementary school and middle school, you got Police Academy 1 through 10 or whatever. And the running joke is, oh, you see the word Blue Oyster, Blue Oyster Cult, Blue Oyster this. You think, oh, gay bar from Police Academy, right? And then you see a dude, you know, with, you know, with short hair and a mustache, dressed like a biker. Oh, he's probably he probably goes to the Blue Oyster Club or whatever. You know what I mean? You, all, you hear all this shit. And then when I'm in high school, getting really, really more into metal and understanding it and collecting it and really researching bands, then you see on Headbanger's Ball, Hellbent for Leather, the video. And you just, you got you to gotta laugh because you're just like, holy shit, man. You know what I mean? Like this band is fucking amazing. They're fucking just, you know, but like honestly, like you think of, Police Academy, Blue Oyster Club. You think the guy's just like that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not even yeah. to be homophobic, but it's just kind of, you just got to chuckle. Like, okay, wait a minute. Hellbent <laughs> Leather. And another fucking great point, too, is what about the song Grinder? Grinder. Oh, yeah. Looking. Yeah. What's yes. the name of the gay dating app, Dustin? That's Gr- a good boy. Yeah. Grinder. Every fucking time I hear grinder, I've, 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 uh, I mean, there's got to be somebody we could ask. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's got to be somebody we could ask. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's like, (laughs) uh, like it's lingo. It's, it's, it's slang in the gay community. It could be. I, 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 I don't know. But I look. I just, I remember when he came out, and it was like. 1997, 96, 97, somewhere around there. Was it that late? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he had been out of priest for a a minute when he did it. Um, But I I remember, I remember, I remember talking to my brother. I remember talking to my brother, Derek, and, and, and I, him and I watched the interview and then we looked at each other and we went, yeah. Like, how did you not know that? Yeah. <laughs> how how did you not pick up on it already? I just, the one thing, which, it's funny. It's funny because there's the the traditional sort of sort of overt masculine sort of thing where the 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 homophobia aspect of it and how people are going to react. But I, to me, I didn't really see much of it. I I think my my experience was or at least with the people that I was around that everybody was just okay cool I wish you know I could mean? say the same for the fucking the high school that I was in people that I was around people were saying stuff like well I still like priest at least not the whole, at least the whole band's not gay you know what I mean or people like people straight up saying they're going to stop listening to priest for that yada 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 you know what I mean I mean, I mean I'm a I'm a couple years younger than you you know what I mean it could be the difference between the generation cuz technically you're generation X right I mean yeah I mean I was born in 75 you know what I mean like uh I've graduated high school in 94 so maybe I mean, maybe why maybe we're the same generation just at different spots but yeah, I, I think it might have been just because I'm a child of the '90s, and the and that was during during the time I was a teenager. It was just getting to be more and more. Everybody was okay with it. So, yeah, no, you know. definitely, definitely. 
because it, it, it kind of became the sort of deal where it was like, okay, you know, you can disagree with it, but keep it the fuck to yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, don't be a, don't be a dick about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. in reality, I mean, that's because dude, there's some guys that are more fucking masculine and more badass than most people that you know that just happen to be gay dudes. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that right. that's what I really saw. Like you were talking about how like when he did two, that he embraced the gay community, right? Well, you go back to Hellbent for Leather when he started really kind of embrace and kind of just really show this is what's going on in the underground. You know what I mean? And if you think about it, you know, it was just like the, where he intermingled was probably a bunch of badass fucking biker leather gay dudes that like they were, you know, by day they were riding their Harleys, they were doing their wearing leather, whatever. And then at night they go to the, the, the gay bar and they hook up. You know what I mean? That's what he was, he was experiencing. And it's just so funny because like, you know, like I said before, in the Midwest, I grew up in the Midwest, obviously here in the Midwest too, you know, and even out here, like in, you know, in, in the coastal South, you know, you're not going to find people that are all that cool with somebody being gay. But again, yeah. you know, like the metal God, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gay. What are you gonna do about it? You know what I mean? And it's just like, he, he's the poster boy of fucking masculinity. I mean, even now, look at his look now. He's got a fucking shaved head, tattoos, goatee, and sunglasses. Look like a guy that would fucking beat your ass still to this day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He looks like your atypical fucking, like, you know, Mad Max fucking extra. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what's more badass than that? You know what I'm saying? Right, and, right, you know, right. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this album is great, dude. It's, it's, it marks the transition for Priest. It's, it, like you said, it's in between Stained Class and, and, uh, um, and British Steel. And, uh, um, you know, it's 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 a good signpost for you know for or a or a or a marker for the progress of you know. It's a, of like, it's, it's a it's a branch. It's a it's yeah. The, it's the start of a branch. It's a fork in the road. And yeah. I, yeah. I I love I love and it's funny too because I listen to this album in rotation with stuff like uh, um like late seventies Motorhead um uh, even even Diamond Head you know and just all that stuff that really that warm analog fucking proto metal. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it's, sure. you know what I mean? You can, you can smell the cigarette smoke and the old fucking carpet and wood in the fucking studio when they're, you know what I'm saying? You can smell the fucking the leather jackets and the bad hairspray. And it just, it just puts you in an area where this is just like, it's organic and gnarly. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, it, it's, yep. you got, you got to take a bath after you listen to this album, actually. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you're, like, that you're always so vivid with stuff. Saying, I get it. Hot, hot rocking, you know. Hot rocking. Yeah. All right, feels feels like we're wrapping it up. Show. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you're gonna listen to one song. What's your pick? I'm gonna have to say, um. You know what? Delivering the fucking good, even though it's the first track. Yeah, that's it. Punches you in the balls and gets yep. you ready for the rest. Yeah, the beginning of the song. <laughs> the way the chorus riff, you know, delivered the good. Boom! It just fucking takes you to the fucking cliff, and you fall. You know, you just fall off. You know, yep. boom. Well, I, yeah. think, I, I think any t any song that you can put in a. <clears throat> Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's bah, bah, nah, nah, amazing. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the fucking the the riffs on these three priest albums will forever continue to influence yeah. my writing. 
and even my fucking lyrics too, dude. I mean, like it's he's a fucking master lyricist, and he there's some lines on this album. Not there's to get, a lot. There's a lot of Glenn uh, lyrics on here too. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's a very. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good thing for the folks. Like to know, Hellbent, man. Hellbent for leather uh, uh, is a Glenn Tipton. It's a. Uh, it's a uh, just Glenn. That's cool. it. Um, I think Killing Machine too. Yeah. Yep, so everybody. Killing, Killing Machine too. Yeah. All you guys out there listening, definitely fucking check out this, and then either like you know, I, I like to you know, you get the movie and then you get the prequel. Listen to this and then listen to Sustained Blacks. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I like to listen to them. You know, in in that order. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to do it. You can go yeah, back right. and experience what came before. Mm-hmm. Got you there. That sort of, yeah, it's like watching a prequel. Yeah. And you see one. how they fit together. So yeah. Yeah. I'll kick that. All right. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say burn it up. Cool. Because I think Burning Up is an amazing song. I love it. I think it's incredible. They could have just put out a, a seven inch with delivering the goods and burning it up, burning up, and I would have been fine with it. So do you ever skip past evil fantasies or do you like that too? I'm okay with it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the evening star. I like evening star, but it's probably my least favorite song on the album. The verse is really strong on evening star. I mean, obviously the chorus gets kind of, gets really poppy, but the, the verse, the guitar riff and the fucking, the verse on that is really solid too. Yeah. You know, I take mean, on. Take, take on the world's cool too, but I wish they would have had a full band arrangement instead of just drums and one guitar. Well, yeah. I, think it, I think it would have been cool to have the entire band playing on it. It's kind of like there. It's kind of like Judas Priest's answer to Queens. We will rock you. That's always you know what I, mean? I think about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sort of yeah like delivering so- the, delivering the goods can go right in there with, uh, um, with the songs off of British steel that are the big hits too, I believe, yep. you yeah. know? Yeah, I think. I mean, just imagine. You know, what, which British what's British still open up with? Is it um, Rapid Fire, right? Oh God, yeah. Pounding the world. God, battery. Yeah, that's first. That's another fucking one that's like Exciter, dude. That's just like nobody did this before this. Yep. Yeah, that whole the what is it? Rapid Fire, Metal Gods, Breaking the Law, Grinder. And I think you don't have to be old to be wise. Does yeah, that sound right. That song could fucking be on Hellbent for Leather, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it would fit. Yeah. There's the, between those between we got to stop or we're gonna we, keep we, going. We can, yeah, <laughs> the famous Carter and Dustin wrap up. The never the, all right, the never the day that never comes. So. <laughs> All right, all right. That's another episode of the Music to Lifeblood podcast. Wrapping Music to Lifeblood. Something old. Something new. What are you listening to?